following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Kia ora everyone. It's great to be with you again uh, and to carry on this Royals series across our two churches in three locations. Uh, last week, Brad gave you that powerful portrayal of King Uzziah, uh, took you into the story of the leper king. And now we come to look at a king today who is Uzziah's great-grandson. So it's been a couple of kings after Uzziah, and we now come to King Hezekiah. And really, Hezekiah is a remarkable king in, in many ways, uh, partly because he sits in between two of the worst, two of the worst kings in Judah's history. Uh, Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, was a bit of bad news. He was not a pleasant guy. Uh, and Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was possibly the worst king of Judah. Uh, we're going to look at him next week. But Hezekiah sits like a rose between two thorns among these terrible kings. And you have this incredibly faithful and righteous and loyal king with King Hezekiah, king of Judah. Uh, the summary of his reign is found in 2 Kings 18. Uh, in verse 3, very simple statement says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And that's powerful because it's said of Hezekiah that he did right in the eyes of the Lord without qualification. There's other kings of whom it is said that they did right in the eyes of the Lord, but they didn't do this. Well, they didn't do that. Usually it meant that they didn't tear down the pagan altars that people were worshipping. But Hezekiah, in the very next couple of verses we read, that's exactly what he did do. Uh, he tore down the Asherah poles. He tore down the sacred stones. He even broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had held up in the wilderness because it had become an object of worship to the people. It had become an object of idolatry. And so you have this unqualified statement that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and then that second phrase, just as his father David had done. Uh, with Hezekiah, there's a sense that here is a new David. Here is a new king like David 2.0. It's almost like David's come back from the dead. And, and this is a king who was faithful. And, and maybe there was a sense among the people, maybe this would be the king who turns the hearts of the people back to Yahweh, who leads the nation back to God. And Hezekiah did bring about a huge amount of renewal. Uh, and restoration, uh, spiritual restoration of the people during his time. But he also lived during a really difficult time in Judah's history. Uh, at the time, politically, the big superpower of the day was Assyria. So this huge nation, expanding nation to the northeast of Judah. Uh, this was a brutal empire. The Assyrians were just, just brutal. They were a fierce army, huge army. They were bent on conquest. They were expanding so just swallowing up other nations that got in their way and they were heading in the direction of Judah and Israel. And while Hezekiah is on the throne, while he's king, uh, the Judeans watch on in horror as the Assyrians come in through the northern kingdom of Israel and they completely annihilate the nation of Israel in the north. They conquer Samaria and they take the northern tribes off into exile, back into Assyria, uh, never to be seen from again. The Is Israelites never returned from exile in the same way that the Judeans did. And so you can imagine for Hezekiah, for the people of Judah, just watching in horror 
as their northern cousins were completely obliterated and wondering if they were going to be next, which, of course, they were. Uh, the Assyrians weren't going to stop with Israel. They were coming for Judah. And so you have then through 2 Kings 18, uh, 19, you have the story of the Assyrians starting to make some incursions into Judah. Uh, it was what the Assyrians really wanted was to try and get this done without major warfare. They didn't want the inconvenience of war. If they didn't have to have it, they'd rather just try and get these guys to surrender. So they try a few things. Uh, they try and get Hezekiah to pay a tribute uh, to basically become a puppet king. He can stay on the throne under Assyria's control as long as he pays a hefty sum. Uh, he initially refuses that. And so the Assyrians come in and they conquer a bunch of the fortified cities of Judah. They start taking some of the smaller towns. And then Hezekiah changes his mind and amazingly decides he would like to pay off the Assyrians. And he gets some gold from the temple and sends them their way. But by that time, they weren't interested. By that time, the Assyrians really were focused on Jerusalem. Uh, they were focused on capturing and conquering the capital city. And so they send their field commander, the, the, the supreme commander of the Assyrian forces, comes to Jerusalem, stands outside the city, stands outside the walls, and uh, a few delegates meet with him. And he's, he really just gives this big speech to anyone who will listen. And he talks about how amazing the Assyrians are and how they've conquered every other nation and all these other gods of the nations, they've all been destroyed and no nation can stand against the might of the Assyrians. And he tries to undermine Hezekiah, talking about how Hezekiah doesn't know what he's doing and he's going to lead you down the wrong path. And what you need to do, people, is surrender to the, to the Assyrians. Uh, he even tries to, tries to suggest that he's coming in the name of Israel's God, that Israel's God's told him to invade Judah. Uh, so he plays the, plays the propaganda card. This is all just military propaganda, trying to get the people unsettled, trying to force them to surrender. And when that doesn't work, the king of Assyria then sends a letter directly to Hezekiah, threatening him, again boasting about the, the, the might of the Assyrian Empire, talking about all of the other gods, and uh, threatening Hezekiah. And Hezekiah gets that letter. And I want to show you his response when that letter comes. Second uh, Kings 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib, that's the king of Assyria, had sent to ridicule the living God. And then down to verse 19. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Now, let's just pause here and just think about our own situations for a moment. I want you to think about how similar or different this is to the way that you respond when you face challenges, you face difficulties. Uh, the, the truth is, we're, at, at some point in our life, we're all going to face Assyria, aren't we? Uh, some of you are fighting battles today. We're all going to face battles of many kinds. We're not going to stand in Hezekiah's shoes and face the Assyrian army, but we fight battles of all different kinds in our lives. Some of you are fighting them now. There's relationship troubles, uh, people in your household, people at work, friends. You might be right in the middle of a tough relational time. Uh, it could be problems with your own mental and emotional health, just the darkness that maybe no one else sees, just uh, on the inside. 
Uh, could be difficulties in your finances, just going through a tough time at the moment. Uh, could be health struggles for you, for someone in your family, and you're carrying that burden on their behalf. We all fight these battles. If you're not fighting one right now, you'll be fighting one before too long. And as these battles come, I want you to think about how do you respond? How do you respond when you get bad news, when something happens, maybe suddenly, or maybe it builds up over time? Well, I tell you, my response isn't a lot like Hezekiah's. You know, it doesn't look much like this at all. My response, my typical response when things go bad is to worry. That's, that's my go-to. I like to do a lot of worrying. I like to really make sure I've spent good time really worrying myself into a hole before I do anything else. That's for some reason, that's my, that's my default. Uh, and then maybe I'll talk to someone about the problem. And then maybe I'll, I'll try and think my way out of it. You know, we do this. We try and strategize, do a whiteboard session in our mind catastrophize the situation, try to think every possible worst-case scenario. Uh, then maybe I'll Google it. We do that too, don't we? You know, maybe there's something hiding on page two search results in Google that's going to help us out. And after I've done everything else, if nothing works, then maybe I'll pray. And I say that to my shame because that is so opposite to the way that Hezekiah responds. Look at what this guy does. He gets the letter from the king of Assyria and immediately he goes to the temple which is where he met with the presence of God. And he spreads this letter before God. Don't you love that picture of just this? Here's a multi-page letter, threats and, and uh, all sorts of bad news for him. And he just spreads this out before the Lord and he brings it to God in prayer. And there's just a picture there of how as Christians we are called to respond when we face these battles. Rather than making prayer the last thing on our list, God wants us to make it the first. It should be a, a reflex of our spirit. That when things go south, we immediately come to God and we lay it before him in prayer before and ahead of everything else. We lay it down and we say, God, this is yours. I give this to you. I can't do this, Lord. This is yours. And I know that there's some times when it's really hard to do that. I know some of you may be going through situations now and there's such darkness. There's such heaviness. You struggle to pray. It can be really hard to pray when you just feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Now, those are times that we need someone praying for us. One of the great details in the story, if you read the parallel account of this story in 2 Chronicles, a little detail that you don't get here in 2 Kings is that when Hezekiah goes to the temple to pray, he takes the prophet Isaiah with him. Isn't that great? Isaiah and Hezekiah, they were contemporaries. So you've got the king and the prophet working together. And I imagine Isaiah was so stoked that you've got a king here who is faithful, who wants to serve God, unlike so many of the other kings of Judah. And so these two men together calling the nation back to God. And isn't it a great picture of Hezekiah and Isaiah? You can picture them walking up the stairs of the temple together, getting on their knees before God, spreading out that letter and praying to Yahweh, calling upon him to deliver them. And friends, if you're going through a tough time at the moment and you're finding it hard to pray, you need an Isaiah. You need someone around you who is praying for you, who is lifting you up, especially when you can't pray yourself. We need those brothers around us. We need those sisters around us lifting our concerns to God, praying on our behalf. Not only are their prayers tremendously powerful, but it will be such an encouragement to your heart to know that you're being carried, to know that you're being thought of, to know that you're being prayed for and you've got others standing with you in prayer. So if you're in the midst of it this morning, if you're in the thick of it, Get a hold of someone that you know, that you trust, another Christian brother or sister, and say, could you pray for me? Would you stand with me in prayer and bring what I'm facing to God 
each day through this season. Now, come back to the story. Hezekiah and Isaiah come to God in prayer and look at how God then responds. This is dramatic. At the end of chapter 19, verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. An incredible victory that we read of here. And in the midst of the night, the angel of God goes out and takes out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Just picture that. That's about the population of Hamilton. And the angel just goes out and wipes them out. The Assyrian forces are just decimated. Imagine being an Assyrian soldier who survived that, wakes up the next morning, and there's just the, the, the ground is littered with bodies. It was so defeating, so humiliating. The king himself, who apparently was there, retreats, obviously embarrassed, humiliated. He retreats, goes back to his home city of Nineveh. And the epilogue to that story is that the king of Assyria was then assassinated by his own sons. And Assyria never again, as far as we know, attacked Judah, certainly never conquered Judah. For all of the expansion that Assyria achieved, and it was a vast empire, it never completely took the nation of Judah. It didn't mean Judah's problems were over. They ended up having problems with Babylon. But the Assyrians never took them. And it was this incredible victory of God here that secured that. And you think this all came about without a single Israelite having to lift a finger. You know, that night God achieved a victory for his people and not a single Judean needed to lift a sword, did they? Not a single Judean had to lift a spear that night. The battle belonged to the Lord. This was an incredible victory. You can tell it's an amazing victory by the sheer amount of space that it takes up in the Bible. It's told at length. There's several chapters here devoted to this. This was one for the history books for the Israelites. But I think in the context of the whole biblical story, there's an even bigger picture here that we can see the way that this victory of God over the Assyrians ultimately points us towards God's greater victory through Jesus Christ. When you line those two things up next to each other in the biblical story, the parallels are there. That just as the Judeans faced this impossible enemy, and it was an impossible enemy, we too faced an impossible enemy. And the evil one himself who held us in the clutches of death because of our sin, humanity faced the impossible uh, situation of ever being able to regain relationship with God. We stood under his judgment. We stood under his wrath. We faced the enemy of Satan against us who held us in the clutches of death because of our sin. And yet God intervened. And just as he moved and wiped out most of the Assyrian army, God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, won an incredible victory on our behalf. Through the death of Jesus, he conquered Satan, robbed him of his territory, robbed him of his dominion, robbed him of his authority. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God defeats the death. Death, He defeats the grave. Jesus takes the keys to death in Hades. He establishes his kingdom in the world. He wins this resounding victory against the evil one. And of course, you and I are beneficiaries of that victory. We stand in victory now because of what God has done through Jesus. We've received redemption. We've been delivered. We've been delivered from the ultimate enemy. We've been saved. We've been brought into the security and the safety of the kingdom of God, this spacious place of freedom. And this has happened because of Jesus. And it's happened without us lifting a finger. 
You think we, we could never contribute anything to our salvation. We could never contribute anything to that victory. That was all God. That was all the, the work and the merit of Jesus Christ achieved on our behalf. We're just like the Israelites just standing there. All we can do is, is receive that victory. All we can do is say, thank you, God, that you have won this for us and that we stand forgiven and freed in you. And so as you think about that story and the victory over Assyria, let it remind you of the victory God has won through Jesus and that we now stand in that victory on the winning team, on the winning side as God outworks his victory in the world. So where does that leave us today? We know that God has won this victory. We know the evil one has no ultimate power and authority, but we also know the battle is very real. We know that Assyria still comes knocking on our door, don't we? I mean, we can live as faithful Christians and we can follow Jesus, but we know that Assyria still comes knocking. We still fight battles. Life is still really hard. We know that even though the evil one is defeated, he's not destroyed. The Bible says the evil one still prowls around. Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. He still gets in there and seeks to influence and seeks to agitate and seeks to damage our lives and tear down the purposes of God and the people of God wherever he can. So how do we respond to these battles that we fight in our lives? Well, again, Hezekiah's got something to show us. I want to take you to Second Chronicles, the parallel reading of the story, and read some words that Hezekiah said to his people to encourage them in the midst of the Assyrian threat. Here's what he says. Second Chronicles 32, 7. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. They're great words, aren't they? Inspiring words. And Hezekiah is saying to the people, don't, you don't need to fear the Assyrians. Yes, this is a vast army. Yes, they've got us outnumbered. But that king of Assyria, that's just, he's just got the arm of flesh. That's all that is. That's just a human power. That's just a human enemy. But we have the living God. We have Yahweh on our side. And the power of the one who is with us is infinitely greater than the power of Assyria. It sounds like that verse in 1 John 4, 4, doesn't it? He who is within us, the one who is in us, is greater than the one who is within the world. This is what we've got to remember as we fight these battles. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you're up against, no matter how hard it is, no matter how exhausting it is, please remember that the power of the living God is greater than the power of whatever you are facing today. You may be just in a really difficult relational space with someone right now. Someone who is just giving you real grief and it's really hard and it's just weighing you down. Remember, take heart. The power of God is greater than the power that is coming against you in that relationship. You may just be absolutely worn down this morning, just tired. It may not even be one thing. It could just be a whole lot of little things. You know how this happens. It's, you, you can barely even point to what it is, but it's just the cumulative effect of an exhausting life, maybe an exhausting job, maybe family schedule and a million different commitments. And maybe is that one last thing that then gets put on the pile for you and that's the straw that breaks the camel's back and you just feel like you're absolutely at the end of your rope. Please know that the power of God is greater, infinitely greater than the power of every one of those little things that's sitting on your back this morning. 
and infinitely greater than the cumulative weight of all that you are carrying. Maybe you feel burdened within your own heart, burdened down by depression, anxiety. Please know that the power of God is greater than those forces and powers of darkness that you feel swirling around, weighing you down and overwhelming you maybe within. God's power is greater and his love is present with you. And God's promise through Hezekiah, as Hezekiah declares it, is that God will go ahead of us and will fight our battles for us. Isn't that a great promise? Don't you just let that sink into your soul, that God is going to fight your battles for you. That's not the first time God's promised that. He promised that to the Israelites as they stood on the edge of the Red Sea. Another impossible situation. Red Sea on one side, Pharaoh's army on the other side. And God says, you be still and let me fight. God said a similar thing when the Israelites stood on the edge of the promised land. And God promised he would go ahead of them and fight their battles. And now Judah faces an impossible army, an impossible threat. And God says, I will go ahead of you. I will fight your battles. And my friends, he is saying the same thing to you today. Whatever you're facing, God is saying, I will fight your battles. Would you stop trying to fix it yourself? Would you stop just trying to struggle in your own strength? Would you stop just trying to deal with this uh, in your own power? God invites us to bring this to him and he says, let me fight this battle for you. And that requires us handing our struggle over to God and saying, God, I trust you with this. I, I don't understand it. I don't know how you're working. I don't know what you're going to do with this. But God, I just trust you with this situation. Are you willing to do that this morning? To say, God, I just I cast myself on your sovereignty. I cast myself on your goodness. This is coming back to some of the most fundamental promises of our faith that God is good, that he is faithful. It means saying, God, beyond what I see and beyond what I feel and beyond my situation, I leave this with you. I know that you're involved. God, I have to leave you to work this out in your way, in your time. God, I believe you're in the midst of it. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know you do, God. And when I feel totally powerless and totally weak, God, I'm believing you have all power. You have all authority. And God, when I just feel like I'm broken on the floor, I know that you are still on the throne. And God, when I feel like I just can't go on and I, I can't take another breath, God, I believe that you are a God of limitless energy, limitless strength. Your power never runs dry. And God, I, I trust you that you are working and moving in this situation. That's letting God fight our battles for us. And as we do that, we know that God will strengthen our heart in the midst of the battle to stand firm in our faith. I love the verse Isaiah 41.10 that says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's been an amazing promise for me. That steadied me in many battles that I've faced. One of the struggles I've faced in my life is a battle with anxiety. Uh, and I'm guessing there's, there's some of you, maybe many of you, that have struggled with anxiety as well. Uh, it, it's tough, especially in the middle of the night. You feel your heart racing. You feel your shallow breathing. You feel tension and you feel your nervous system going into overdrive. Anxiety is an awful thing. Everything seems worse in the middle of the night, doesn't it? And God's worked on me in the midst of my struggle with anxiety. I think I used to be more kind of in the mode of trying to fight against anxiety, trying to fight it, trying to push against it. And of course, what, what happens when you try and fight anxiety? You get more anxious. Yeah, 
You get anxious about being anxious, then it just spirals. And I think God's been teaching me in the middle of that space to let him fight that battle for me. That I can just relax into his goodness. That I can lean into his presence. That I can rest in his mercy and know that he's there and just say, God, this is yours. He's surrounding me in that space. And that doesn't mean for me that all of my anxious feelings disappear. It doesn't. I, I still face those times. I still have anxious times. But the best way I can describe it is that inviting Jesus into that space transforms the experience of anxiety because I know he's with me. And his presence is surrounding me. He's shielding me. He's buffering me. He's absorbing that anxiety for me. And the experience of anxiety is different because Jesus is sitting there and holding me in the middle of it. There's a song that's been really powerful for me uh, as I've fought various battles over the past few years, a song by Phil Wickham. It's called Battle Belongs. And the verse of that song says, When all I see is the battle, you see the victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain moved. And when I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. And the chorus says, When I fight, I'll fight on my knees. O oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I'll lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. The battle belongs to you. Great reminder of the God who goes ahead and fights our battles, who sees things so differently to us. We just see the battle. He sees the victory. And it's a great reminder of our response in the midst of the battle to fight on our knees. That's our role. That's our place. Let God do the heavy lifting. You just stand on his word and cling to his promises. And so, my friends, whatever the Assyria is that you are facing this morning, I pray that you would know that the God of Hezekiah is with you. The God of Hezekiah stands right there. The God who defeated the Assyrian army stands right there with you. I pray you'd be encouraged to make prayer your first response in the midst of the battle. Not the last, but the first. And gather some others around you who can carry you, who can uphold you. And I pray you'd know in the core of your being this morning that God is going ahead of you, has already gone ahead of you, into the midst of whatever you're facing, and is right now fighting your battles for you. And I pray that you would know this, be encouraged in this, and walk out in these truths in the safe and secure knowledge that we stand in the victory that is already won for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be blessed. May you know the God who fights your battles for you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've won an incredible victory through your death and resurrection. Release your power into our lives and to the lives of all those who fight battles today of many kinds. Help us to know your strength and your power. Help us to be people of prayer for ourselves and for one another. And encourage our hearts in the knowledge that it is your power and strength that goes before us and fights on our behalf. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. In the midst of our struggles, may we know you, the God of Hezekiah, more and more in our lives every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. 
Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.